Ranking Beatles. Rank now. Come on. Rank all the songs. Rank now. It's okay. Sorry, I let you down there. We <laughs> only little, practiced two. <laughs> a little bit of Eddie Van Halen love to start off this week's show. Welcome to Ranking the Beatles, episode 18. Woo. How goes it, party people? I am your host, Jonathan. And I'm Julia. Welcome to another exciting episode of our podcast. How is everybody doing this week? Hopefully good. How are you doing this week? I was going to say, we'll, we'll wait for you to answer. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave a space for them. <laughs> Sorry, let's try this again, friends. How are you all this week? Mm. Good to hear it. Yeah, good to hear it. Good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Or, mm, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done. See, we're trying to be considerate to our, our wonderful listeners who have been supporting this show. We are at like 3,600 listens on our little show here. Our little baby pod. Which like... So proud. You know, maybe we're not Ira Glass, but I'm pretty stoked about this. I mean, that's okay. I'm pretty happy with it. Thank you guys for uh, joining us on this ride so far. Glad you're digging it. Glad we're here. Glad there's plenty more to go. And I'm really excited about this week's episode, you guys. I bet you are. I don't even know how to best explain what's going to happen today. I'll tell you why I'm excited. Why? Because I never have to listen to one of these songs ever. <laughs> That's why I'm excited about Wait until episode. we get into it I'm not to shit it on the songs. I'm not giving it away. They're in the title. Everyone knows what the day is about here. Oh, yeah, that's true. Once you clicked on it. See, I feel like I should change it and start just putting the numbers per in the Ooh. title, but not the songs we're discussing. Yeah, throw everyone for a loop. Oof. Oof. Because, like, if someone looks Maybe in up, the top ten, I'll do that. Mm, Once I get to, like, the top no, 20. No, do it now. Because if someone looks at the title and they're like, what's the new Mary Jane? Ugh, I don't know. You just blew that. it. You just let the cat out of the bag. But it's in the song title. It's true. I mean, the, the episode title. <laughs> the episode title. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Start it next week. Mmm. Because next week, I believe, we get to number... Two hundo. Ooh, maybe that's the big the big two hundred surprise is we stop putting the song titles in the name of the episode. Oh, I like this. I like this. It's the October surprise that they keep talking about. Oh. Wah, except wah. for that's gonna be in like December. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe November. Ugh. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Anyway. You'll get it eventually. You guys. And you'll like it. You guys, this week, our guest is a very very close person who's near and dear to my heart. I don't even know. Not mine. I hate him. Oh, God, that's so fucked up. I'm kidding, you guys. <laughs> so, for lack of better phrase, today's guest is my best dude friend in the world. He's been my musical partner for the lion's share of the last 18 years. Ooh. We, had we made a baby when we first met, that baby would be going to college and could vote this year in this election, which you should all be voting Early voting as soon as you can. Please vote. Vote. Good God, please. Anywho, I met this man in college at Louisiana State University. We were wee little babies, and we had a band together at that time called Tweezer. 
which could only be described as Baton Rouge's only Weezer cover band. <laughs> <laughs> but believe me when I tell you this, we owned. We ruled. And this was like 2000 to 2004, so pre-Beverly Hills Weezer. Mm. Like, we were there when the Green Album came out. We had to learn all those new songs. Thankfully, they were all the same song, just in different keys, so it was a pretty quick learn. We were there for Maladroit, and then we were like, all right, we're good. We're good. Let's break it up while we're at our, our, at our peak, yeah, go at our top. apex. Go ahead on top. So then I graduated, moved back home. My buddy stayed in Baton Rouge and was the guitarist in a prog rock instrumental band called Epic, which was actually pretty uh, influential around the Baton Rouge music scene at the time. And they, I looked high and low for this review. There was a review in a guitar magazine, which was like mind blowing at the time that like they got reviewed in a guitar player magazine and I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, but they called out our, our guest today's plane, uh, and like pointed out how great it was. And I felt really good for him. Um, yeah. And then in 2010, we, we joined our collective forces back up once again, uh, for our band, the Breton sound in which we spent the last. I don't know, nine to 10 years touring and putting out records and chasing the proverbial dream. Um, We have yet to kill each other. We're still best friends. Uh, And while we haven't played together since like the week before the world shut down, he's also the guitarist in our 90s cover band, Big in the 90s. Which is very fun. Yes, we are fun. I think we're fun. It's been a while. (laughs) Were we fun? I don't remember playing music. You played one show... Um, well, no, you no, played more we played than one time. I shouldn't say that. You, you, your last show was actually here at our house. We had a a house party. We did. We house had a, party two, house um, party three. One of our listeners, my cousin Celeste. Hi, Celeste. Uh, she, All of our listeners are related to us, pretty much. No, <laughs> that's not true. They're not. That's not true. Um, she had a big thirtieth birthday party, and she wanted the band to play because she wanted to have a nineties theme party. And so we were trying to like figure out where, and I was like, "Dude, just have it here. Use our house." And so we had a rager. We it was like post Mardi Gras. We had her party, and then the world shut down. Yeah, it was like the last thing we did. Like we there was like that meme going around the internet, like at the beginning of quarantine, like what was the last photo of you having fun? Uh, pre It's us holding her up doing a keg stand. Uh, yeah, it was. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes, and then like photos of the funny cake I got. There's a very dashing photo of me and our guest today from that party in our finest '90s regalia, oh. looking dapper. I'll have well, to find. You that. are both dashing. We are dashing, young men. Yeah. This is true. This is true. Well, it brings me great pleasure to introduce our guest today, you guys. Also because he's a guitar player and I feel like he's going to fucking hate these two songs. So I can't wait. I'm kind of really jazzed that he's going to talk about these two songs that guitar is not even important in I either envision one of there's these. just going to be a lot of man Ugh, and then a very long pause <laughs> where he you won't be able to see him but he'll be wincing. <laughs> <laughs> On the day the show drops, I hope he listens to it and he discovers the truth of the matter is that I gave him these songs because I knew he would hate them. The kind of thing you would only do to your best friend. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Stephen Turner. Stephen, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Hello, friend. Hi. I'm great. It's been a hot I'm, minute. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, two of like the most polar opposite songs you could have possibly picked to put on the same docket. <laughs> yeah. Accurate. I, I thought, it, you know... If there's anything appropriate for a, a person who's like a pure guitar player, it would be today's two songs. 
Yeah, there's no guitar in either song. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the kind of thing I would only ask you to do because you're my best friend. <laughs> so, yeah, right. But um, it's like the wimpiest guitar songs ever. Right. <laughs> but uh, but aside from that, first, how are you, my friend? How have you been? How's life? How's quarantine life? I'd like to check in on our guests. Well, you know, we miss playing music like anybody else. That sure. Was just as yeah, you know, just as it had like a project. I don't have anything on the side like you intelligent people with these Beatles cover bands and acoustic stuff and porch parties. So I, I kind of miss it. Yeah. Otherwise it's sit at home and work. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can play again soon. Cause I miss playing with the man. It's I fun. know it's pretty, fun. pretty big bummer. Yeah. You guys should just like hang out on the back porch and play some songs. Like just, you could just you strum could some tunes. Yeah. Man. Just like, hang out. And play. Yeah. You could even live stream it. You could totally do like a live stream from the back porch. Now that it's not 8,000 degrees. It's only 1000 degrees now. We could, uh, we could get back together and do Genacious Steve again. <laughs> we just play that record all the way through. That would be hilarious. People so, would probably tune in. Yeah. Uh, be, there would be five, at least five. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I've got I've got my mom and my aunt. You know? They're always in. Your aunt is one of our wonderful, wonderful monthly subscriber so donors sweet. to yeah. our podcast. I'm sure you're talking about Lily. Yeah. Yeah, she's a Rose, Beatles, yeah. huge Beatles fan. Yeah, they they, they, they throw us it. a little a little sketch every month. So nice, so sweet, so nice, that's sweet. Yeah, but I uh, I want to throw some questions at you at the top so our guests can get okay. to know you a little bit better. Um, All right. So they've listened to enough of us already. Yes, we've been rambling <laughs> for like an hour now. Uh, but if you would tell us a little bit about how did you first encounter the Beatles? What's your first experience with the Beatles? So I grew up in a household where um, my mom listened to nothing but the Beatles and the Stones. Yeah. It wasn't an either or thing. She just listened to that. And like maybe some, uh, all I want for Christmas is you on repeat. But aside from that, there is a time and place uh, for that. But it was all old Beatles. It was all like the poppier Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, my family wasn't into, you know, the whole like rubber soul and on kind of thing. And um, I didn't discover that till I was much older. So I always associated when I was younger, the Beatles with just kind of the poppy hits that they had early on. I didn't know about how good they got at recording music and how kind of influential they really became right. to a lot of musicians. I was listening to totally different stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. The Beatles were just kind of something I knew because it was there. I never actually sought out listening to nothing but the Beatles, like maybe you did. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, to, uh, I, I don't know, I guess it's interesting how like prevalent it is in people's lives that I didn't have to seek any of it out, and it's still, I know all those songs right. front to back. Right. But the later the later albums, like, I know a lot of it, but not as well. Like, I don't, I'm not a B-side person, you know? Sure. <laughs> so, like, when, when, you're, when you're growing up and your parents are, 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 are Beatles and Stones people, you know, the Stones, so your parents are, are, like, were early Beatles fans, but the Stones' early stuff isn't really what they're super known for like in terms of like the longer end of their career things kind mm-hmm. of pick up late 60s and on through the 70s so were your parents really into like super early stones as well or were they into like sympathy for the devil jumbo jack flash the let yeah. it bleed era and like you know exile and things like that yeah the more popular stuff for sure was my mom's thing my dad listened to a lot of other stuff too he mm-hmm. was he's into stuff like yes and um king crimson and he had a lot of odd things my dad has a really eclectic taste in music he'll listen to you know like jazzy stuff too but um 
As is I got older, he... he started actually listening to stuff. Like he would pick and choose some of the stuff that I was listening to, mm-hmm. to, and he would like be okay with it. Like he was okay listening to Dookie, you know, <laughs> right? But he hated Nirvana. So, and I didn't even expose him. I didn't expose him to like the the heavy metal part of me. That just stayed in my bedroom. So, so is that how you got kind of into the the weirder stuff? Kind of along the lines of like your Dream Theater, um, Rush, kind of I those proggier things. Did that come from your dad? Rush. Rush came from our our friend Greg Douglas, his okay. older brothers. His uh, I didn't know what it was. He was wearing a T-shirt one day that had Rush and a bolt on it. It was a blue shirt. We were in grammar school. We we're probably I don't know nine years old, ten years old. I'd have thought I'm it like, was Limbaugh this? at the time. Uh, oh, I thought <laughs> a Rush Limbaugh shirt. The only thing I knew was this dog in the Mega Man video games was called Rush. It's like, yeah, you like Mega Man, huh? Sweet and. Yeah, I just started. So that was how I discovered who they were. And just like any of those bands, I got into them with like the era that isn't normal, like mm-hmm. the 90s stuff. It was the same thing with like Van Halen. It was 90s Van Halen that actually got me into it, not 70s Van Halen. The 90s Rush. And then Rush leads to Dream Theater and other crazier proggy bands. But I kind of stopped there. I don't get into like the real intense prog rock world. Right. Like I, I, Dream Theater is about as weird as I get. Yeah. I love how weird our brains are that you remember the color of the t-shirt that piqued yeah. your interest in a band that you love to this day. Like how mm-hmm. strange, like just like, not that that's weird. Like I remember bonkers things like that all the time, but just like how weird are our brains that you, you can like visualize, like you can picture it in your head. Can't you? Like you probably yeah. have no idea what the guy wearing the shirt looks like, but you remember that shirt. <laughs> well, I know it happened to be, it happened to be Greg. So you know what he looks oh, like. Okay, okay. But I thought it was one of the, Greg's uh, brother's friends. It was a blue Rush counterparts. It's the same as the album cover. And I'll know, that opened the door to a lot of weird stuff, that band, because that band influenced so many people that I loved. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think as I started playing guitar more and wanted to find more um, tricky stuff to learn to try to push myself, that led me into the more complicated music, too. Yeah. When you... If you're sitting around listening to music and you jump from you know, say like eight days a week or I want to hold your hand and then like a dream theater tune comes on. Like, does your brain have to switch in how it enjoys things or how it like processes things? Cause like for me, like I can't, and I'm, I'm not knocking it, but like when you play dream theater stuff for me, I have to like think about it to try to follow along what's happening. Whereas I like think, uh... I'm, I'm able to more naturally enjoy something like the Beatles. Yeah, that's absolutely valid. I think it depends on how well I know the music. Sure. Um, if it's if it's a record that I've listened to a million times, mm-hmm. it becomes simpler, like listening to Beatles. Right. It's not, I'm not counting the time signatures anymore. I know where the fills are. I know I can air drum to it. I can. Yeah, it, it just takes longer to get there than it does with eight days a week. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, as a guitarist and and you've played in a variety of different genres and projects. And I know you've done, you know, studio work, you know, in, on hip hop tracks, which is a whole different realm from anything that you and I have ever done. Um, Yeah. That doesn't make any sense that I got into that. Right. It it happened. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But from a, from a musical perspective, could you point to any ways that you think the Beatles have impacted the way you play or think or work or write? I think mostly it would be indirectly from you 
uh, learning, like simplify something, try to make it a structurally accurate thing. Like my dad used to pick on me when I was a kid playing guitar. He's like, are you ever going to learn a song all the way through? <laughs> and, and he was right. I mean, until probably somewhere in college, I was just learning riffs, riff, 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 shred, 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 kind mm -hmm. of pointless. You know, you know it, it was working up chops, but there was no goal. There was no like end result. Right. It was just like I was playing to play notes. Yeah. So I think learning to play with people who had actually written songs all the way through, that's where the Beatles would probably come through because everybody who's a singer-songwriter that I've ever worked with all love the Beatles. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Okay. Interesting. That's such like a funny thing because I, I feel like as not a musician, I, I think that that would drive me insane. Like if you sat next to me on the couch and just played little bits of songs, mm -hmm. especially if it were songs that I knew and I would well, be Well, I've like, done this and you get you? mad at me. Oh, okay. Well, so I'm know. speaking from a place And I feel like, I, Stephen, I feel like you and I have done this where like we've sat and like played like a verse and chorus of a song like as a joke just while like sitting around and then stopped and someone's like, well, well, well come finish on, it. finish, finish the shit. <laughs> I, Jules, I have hours of horrible sounding recordings so then you go back to like the earliest days of an interface that i could plug into of just like <laughs> the track could be something like 45 minutes long and you see waveforms with gaps in between them there's it's just one track and it's like me playing a riff for like a minute stop let me play this riff for another minute stop oh my and gosh hours of it that's and kind of how what's the new mary jane comes about <laughs> right that's also how you end up in a band that has 15 minute long songs you're like well let's just plug this riff into here uh, that, that's fine right. and, <laughs> like, i really like this riff but it's not a complete song yeah. it's a totally different school of thought yeah you know, and it's funny because like i've never been much of a lead player as you were aware of um and you know when you picture like the guy at a party like sitting back like playing a guitar and like trying to woo anyway the here's girls yeah like <laughs> That's such like a jokey Clowns trope. never laughed before. <laughs> Beanstalks never grew. Wait, what was that from? Uh, that's from um, Brady Bunch. Oh, Ponies yeah. never ran before. <laughs> but then, then there's, so like, I, when I think about this, I think of like Animal House, right? Yeah, um, right, yeah. I gave my love a chicken <laughs> that had no bone. Like, that's yeah. me at the party. But then Steve's at the party or, or at a show, like, diddly, 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 like shredding some killer solo, and I think that's way cooler than what I'm doing. But then, but uh, I, but then he can't sit around and do. I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. Like, no, I don't, I don't do it. I don't play it. I'm not like the guy who picks up the acoustic guitar at a party. It's never been me. And it never worked though. It never worked. No. No matter how many times I tried. It's okay. And I I was playing Wonderwall at parties in college, like before it was a meme. Like in the in the early two thousands. Before you met me. Well before I met you. Because yes. I would not have fallen for that. <laughs> Girl, you knew about my Oasis love from a, an early part no, of our That's okay. Career. You can you're allowed to love them, but like if I saw you at a party and you were just like trying to pick up chicks by playing Wonderwall, I'd be like, uh uh, not that guy. Well it was the only thing I could play well. <laughs> it was that or Weezer have... songs. <laughs> Right, but but you have that repertoire there, and like I couldn't. The main reason, aside from shy, general shyness, that I don't pick up an acoustic guitar and play songs all the way through, is because I still to this day just don't know them. Like <laughs> everything I learn is some like heavily distorted guitar riff that's in, 
yeah, got some sort of intensity to it. It's not like a simple chord progression and everybody's just hanging out. Mm -hmm. The only time I ever can do something like that is if we had to learn a cover right? as the band that we were playing in together. I've never sought out just learning a song. Have you ever like sat and like played one of our songs and just played like the chords of it? And just like new, like try to like sing along in your head, and just play the basic chord formations to it. When writing a solo, absolutely. Okay. Because like would learn your the, parts the way you describe it part. reminds me of um, <laughs> there's a scene in uh, Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny where they break up as they do, and Kyle ends up at a party, and they're like, "Play something for us." He's a musician, and he just does like just his part. <laughs> Yeah, I know that. It's just like, it's just like, across the devil's plane. Like, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what me practicing looks like. That's true. The plight of the lead guitarist. I love it. Well, let's, um, let's do two things. Let's take a quick timeout, little commercial break. Then we're going to come back and we will do our first tune. Cool. Okay. Everybody good with that, Julia? Um, yeah, I guess that's fine. Let's do it. Three, two, one, break. And we're back. <laughs> I love our breaks, man. They're so good. All right. Today, we're ranking two songs with Mr. Sleeve and Burner. I'm really excited about this. Are you ready? Yeah, because I have all kinds of questions for you. Good, good, good. All right, Stephen, give me a drum roll, please, my friend. Coming in at number 202. That is a damn fine drum roll. Obla D, Obla Da. And I duck the onslaught of trash and tomatoes being thrown at me by the internet. <laughs> All right, so a brief rundown. Well, I shouldn't say brief because it's kind of long. A rundown on the history of Obla D Obla Da. So let's rewind the tape. The London music scene in the mid 1960s. It's a big, intermingled, multicultural melting pot. You got musicians from other countries flocking to the city uh, to kind of be part of what they're seeing as like the center of the musical universe. Now, it's here in the music clubs that Paul McCartney befriends a Nigerian-born percussionist named Jimmy Scott. Jimmy, in addition to being a good party hang, if you know what I mean, uh, was apparently full of various uh, catchphrases and sayings that caught McCartney's ear, such as, Nothing too much, just out of sight, which he would later use as a title for a song under his pseudonym The, the Fireman, and obviously, Obla Di Obla Da. Now, even though the song is a bit closer to a ska feel, um, reggae is gaining popularity in Britain at the time, and, that, and Paul's original intention on the track was to make it a reggae song. No, it's more ska, but whatever. Um, and at the time, an artist named Desmond Decker had just toured the UK. Uh, apparently, Paul, uh, this guy was on his radar, because Paul has admitted that Desmond Decker was used as the name inspiration for Desmond in this song. Uh, so Paul writes the song while the Beatles are in Rishikesh, studying with the Maharishi, and upon their return, it's demoed during the band's session at George's Bungalow in Esher. 
So July 3rd of 68, mid-White Album Sessions. It's a whole story. But the air is, like, thick with tension. Everybody's starting to, like, snipe at each other. Tensions are running high. People are working on their own tracks by themselves in separate studios at Abbey Road. Things are not great in the world of the Fab Four. So the band spends three days recording Obla oh, Dio Obla Da, featuring several saxophone players and Jimmy Scott on the congas. Uh, several days later, however, Paul, who is now fully embracing his perfectionist side, decides he wants to completely scrap the version, and this is actually the first time the band has brought in session players and then completely scrapped the whole thing that they've done with them. Just wasted money, out the window, whatever, no big deal. So July 8th, after attending a screening of the Yellow Submarine film, the band returns to the studio and begins to work on a new version of the song. Now at this point, John has been openly critical of his feelings towards this song, making no secret of the fact that he could not care less about recording the track again. So... The band, of course, works through multiple takes to get to the new arrangement. Now, John, who skipped the Yellow Submarine screening, uh, shows up to the studio high as a kite, but irritated about the fact that he has to spend another day working on Obla Di Obla Da. According to legend and also Beatles engineer Jeff Emmerich, as he writes in his book, John walks down the steps into the studio, sits at the piano and shouts, this is how we're fucking playing it, and bangs out the intro to the song on the piano at a heavier and faster feel than they've played it so far. Uh, and so basically an agitated stone John wanting to get through working on what he called Paul's granny music shit uh, gives us the track that we know and love today. What you hear on the track is that agitated piano intro he bangs out right then and there. So then several days later, Paul's retracking his vocal again. Uh, George Martin offers a suggestion to him. Paul shoots back. Well, why don't you come sing it? Uh, George Martin then fires something back at him. They're snapping back and forth. Fireworks, tension. It's not good. Uh, their engineer, Jeff Emmerich, actually quits working on the project and with the band all together the next day, literally like leaves the meal ticket, saying, uh, you know, citing an unpleasant atmosphere surrounding the band and especially calling out this particular argument as an example of why he is out of here. So the album comes out. Paul wants the song to be a single. He gets outvoted by the other three and a cover of Obla Di Obla Da by a group called Marmalade goes to number one. Uh, so the White Album, of course, though, is a massive success. Jimmy Scott comes a call and looking for a co-write on the song because Paul has used his title uh, for the song. Uh, Paul disagrees. Things go back and forth a little bit. Maybe some lawyers get a call here or there. Um, Jimmy at some point, however, gets arrested for owing back uh, uh, for owing alimony back payments. He calls Paul asking for help. Paul agrees that he'll pay the amount that Jimmy owes in alimony back payments if he agrees to drop his claim, which he does. Oof. So, why do I have this song at number 202? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> so, Steve, are you still with us? <laughs> you kind of glazed over for a minute there. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, obviously... Steven's like, oh, rich people fighting. I'm so bored. Where? No, Where? that was me. <laughs> So the song, obviously, at this point is kind of a beloved, kid-friendly, happy, fun entry in the Beatles catalog. And I think when you first hear it, that sense of happiness and joy is what carries it along. I think where it starts to falter for me is that it's almost a victim of Paul's perfection. Uh, what I think makes reggae and ska music so great is that it's not reliant on being super polished and pristine. Um, and this track has the feel of something that has everything in its place 
Uh, even down to the ad libs on the track, which don't feel quite as impromptu as they're kind of designed to. Um, it feels very designed to like be very impromptu sounding. You know, oh, a little. I feel like I feel like every time that that statement right there. That's exactly what I think of every time the Beatles, in all of their this era, are trying something odd. Mm-hmm. That they almost try too hard sometimes, sure, because it's not who they are naturally. Like you're even calling it reggae and ska music, and like what we know of is reggae and ska. This sounds nothing like it, it's right? Right. Up, it's an upbeat, happy song. This is more like a Disney tune. Like it's not ska. Yeah. yeah. To me. You know, and and there are earlier takes of it that are still arranged and performed well, uh, and, and maybe a little bit more straightforward. And those have kind of a looseness. Uh, that's really similar to kind of like the the at home vibe you get from McCartney later on things like Ram and Wildlife. When, once he's got wings and things are a bit more kind of like DIY. Yeah, like um, that take three. Yeah, that take you three. For me was really nice. Like the there wasn't piano, so that the acoustic came out and it just sounded like really lush and natural. Yeah, and they're and, not doing the upbeats. Um, yeah, you're and, talking about the original one on the anthology thing. Yeah. The, yeah. I, yeah. I can, yeah, it's a do- It's like a different song. Completely. Yeah, it's a totally different song. Yeah, and the yeah. vocals are really nice, too. Like, yeah. the, that harmony. The harmonies are great on yeah, it. Yeah, it just felt, like, so much more laid back and, like you said, natural, like, less polished, but still good. Like, it, like when we say unpolished, we don't mean, like, bad and messy. It's right. just, like, yeah. not so Try hard. Clean. Yeah. And, yeah just I, like, I, think, I think the fact that Paul wanted it to be a single is why it came out that way. Like, he mm-hmm. thought this was good enough to be something that would put him at the top of the charts on one of these things, and that's why it's so overproduced. Right. I mean, there, the, the other version wouldn't have charted. I mean, it showed that it would have been a hit song if they would have actually released it because of that other cover of it. Yeah. Well, and I, it I think it actually, yeah, Marmalade is the... Yeah, and I think the song actually did come out in like Germany as a single, and like it went to number one. Uh, and like yeah. their, their main focus was like on the UK and US singles markets, um, so that's what they were like, you know, kind of putting the kibosh on. But I think in the other markets where it did get released as a single, and like it went to like number one, because obviously like yeah, and that's kind of where like it does where it does succeed is that like it's so melodic and so catchy, and there's so many hooks throughout the entire track, like. The horn part's yeah, a hook. The chorus is a hook. Everything in it, it is a hook. And like that's like McCartney like to a T is just like masterclass in craftsmanship of hooks and melody. Like that's what the dude has a lot is of, a pro at. It has a lot of ear candy too. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's, it's just a lot of grab your attention stuff. So what are your what's your take on this, Steve? I know you've probably got some thoughts on this. I just I think it's interesting one, why you'd put it here in mm. kind of like the lower realm because from a song perspective it's well written it's sure. a totally sure. goofball pop song but like low 200s of what they've ever done yeah. um 
it's goofy. It's it's almost like in its own right because it's so silly. Mm-hmm. It makes it lovable, even mm-hmm. though it's. He says life goes on, brah. I mean, <laughs> it, yeah. By the way, random confession. I had no idea that that was the lyric until I looked into this song. Nice. I just thought he went life goes on. Yeah. I, I had no idea. He <laughs> yeah. Said, brah. Yeah, brah. That totally changes the perspective of the song lyrically for me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that one word is a game changer. It is. It's, I, what? Do you hate I, it or love it more? I, I love anything that's goofy that, that can make people rile up. Like I hated stuff like this when I was younger, but pop music has grown on me more as I got older. Mm-hmm. And the simplicity of doing something like, I love it more because when Jonathan was playing that show with Paul Sanchez at the top of the House of Blues, and and um, they were just like kind of taking a little break, and I just yelled out to be an asshole, play old Wadi, and they did. <laughs> like that, it's it's simple enough that you can break into it. Everybody knows it, whether they realize it or not. They yeah. all, everyone knows this song. Well, that's the thing. And, it's like so chorus heavy <laughs> that it's so it's like such a crowd pleaser. Like even people yes, who are, yes. it's just three chords. I mean, it's super simple. No, like the chorus, right. like oh. the lyrics. Like even right, people right, right, who yeah. are just like mild Beatles fans, a have heard the song. B probably know the chorus, even if they don't know the verses. You yeah. know the chorus because it's the name of the yeah. song. Like it's it's nonsense words. It's yeah. you know like it's easy. And so yep. I think that's why people love it, like why it's such a hit, because right. it's, it's so easy. It's it's candy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, in that and in that vein, that's why I'm so curious why you have it so low. If you just personally hate it or if you, you know, I would because I personally would put all of John Lennon's avant garde art shit at the bottom, like sure. the bottom 20. But that's just my personal taste in you well, know, art. That's not music. It's art. So it's something else. so my thought is this. Right. I think. I feel like it doesn't have staying power over time. When I first heard it, I loved it. Like at 13, 12, however old I was, I thought it was great. Um, And just over time, I think there's something about it being so hokey and so, you know, silly. And I do love some silly stuff, but there's something about it that just like, it just hasn't held up to repeated listens. And now, like, if I'm listening to the White Album, when it comes on, I don't skip it. I'm, I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, like when we, when you and I, you know, we've gone to see McCartney, and like when he plays it, I'm just like, okay, I got. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst place to spend three minutes, but like, there are a million other things I'd rather hear than Obladia, Blada. More ways. But he plays for three and a half hours. Right, but I would still well, rather I mean... hear other things than Obladia, Blada. Jimmy Eat World has to play the middle, whether they like it or not. <laughs> True. It's just it's the it's the problem of having something that's this that's like this. Right. And I think, and I don't hate it. That's things I I don't dislike the song. It just doesn't stick to me in the way it used to. Maybe when I was you know a teenager when I first heard it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it it's just kind of fallen out of it's fallen out of favor in the way that just like something I've heard a million times and now I'm just kind of like, mm-hmm. Ugh. and it's not something I've heard a million times and I always love it. And it's always speaking to me in some way. Um, it's just kind of like, it's a bloody blah, blah, blah. Okay. Cool. It's, it's fine. I mean, it's fine. We've heard it a million times. I feel like there's it's nothing cute. left for me to learn from the song. There's yeah. nothing left to discover in it for well, me. Well, And also like, it's so cutesy that it doesn't like stir anything in you. It doesn't, 
It yeah. doesn't like bring out any sort of emotion. I mean, I shouldn't say for you, for me, it doesn't. It doesn't stir anything in me. It doesn't make me feel anything. It's just like a bowl of candy that, like, oh, okay, there's a bowl of candy there. Maybe I'll have a piece. Okay, that's fine. I can. I totally. Yeah, I'm totally on board with that. But it's a bowl of candy that's beyond it. Not all the bowls of candy make me giggle. This one makes <laughs> me giggle. <laughs> I, just just because you're sitting there and out of nowhere you hear either. John or George in the background go, ring, ring. It's like, what? what? <laughs> like, that's hysterical. It, it, I, it took I, me forever to realize and, there's the line where it's, um, uh, happy ever after in the marketplace, Desmond lets the children left at lend a hand, and you hear George go, arm, and John goes, leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just being that, dicks. That's the same thing. They're in the background yelling stuff. That and those become the moments that I enjoy in the song, but I don't necessarily want to wait 90 seconds to get to like a little giggle in the middle of a team. But I mean, think of all these years later, the offspring had a hit song, totally <laughs> jacking this tune. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I meant to put that in my notes and I forgot about Wait, it. It's t- get a job it's a terrible- by the offspring. Man, oh, why don't you get a job? It's the same song. It's the same song. It what? even has this riff. Yeah. I think Nickelback, I think Nickelback ripped it off too. Like that. Well, I guess it's easy doing nothing at all. It's the same song, dude. What? How, yeah. how the Beatles lawyers did not come knocking, I don't understand. Because the, the first time I heard that, I was like, yo, that's, that's egregious. I honestly, <laughs> I honestly can't believe 311 never covered this song. <laughs> oh, you're just trying to work like, in for kyle aren't you <laughs> it's just right up their alley well yeah. hey john oliver called 311 the beatles of rap rock i mean <laughs> true story oh god yikes people are gonna quit our podcast yep <laughs> i meant that that's it i was the last straw you're the last one dude Unsubscribe. so so what do you think about this jules I mean, I think I kind of like jumped in there. Like, like I said, we've heard it a million times. It's candy and sugar. You know, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really like move me. Um, it doesn't really stir up any emotions. It's not bad. And like, let's be clear, it's still better than like millions of songs that exist in the world. Right. <laughs> like, there are songs that are bad. I'd rather have Oblah Dia Blah Da than most 311 songs. Oh, that's Most mean. Smash Mouth songs. <laughs> Even Amber? I don't know. Oh, it's tough because Amber is the color of my energy. <laughs> Ooh. Definitely more than Smash Mouth songs, though. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, th- it's cute. I don't, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like, honestly, as Jonathan says on every, every episode, like, they're... They're not bad. Like, none of the yeah, songs. He doesn't dislike, dislike any it. of them. We have to put them somewhere. And there are things that are just better. Well, there's I things that are better. The there's there's things that I just enjoy more for different reasons. Yeah. And honestly, like... Like, as we'll long, discuss in the next song, like, there the are just reasons The Long Winding Road it. is in our rearview mirror. Wrong. Yeah, hot takes, some, hot takes, hot takes. Some might say that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have some hot takes. I think that... The backstory behind this song is more interesting than the song itself. Just mm. like how they tortured each other over this. Over like, this. this. That's yeah. the thing, over man. This. Like, there and, are so many things that they could have put more time yeah. into and, like, really honed. And they they could have waited till Ringo came back to, let to like, record the drums for back in the USSR. But we're, we're going to spend all this time on uh, fucking Oblad Dioblad, da? Come on, man. <laughs> 
Okay, so apparently I mean, someone look. does have emotions about it. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like and that, now, I'm like, of all the time you're going to waste, you're going to put it on this? <laughs> and now you're doing a podcast talking about this song for an extended period of time. Yep. <laughs> it, it's just going to live on forever in yep. an old deism. Yep. So if you were ranking this or if you were making a mixtape, and I have this at 202, would you say you agree? Do you disagree? If you were making a mixtape, would this song end up on your mixtape? It would be in the in the pantheon of Beatles. It would be higher for me, just because, again, like you knock out all the weird stuff that you've talked about already, and then add anything that Lennon did with artsy fartiness, mm-hmm. and it's got to be somewhere higher. Right. Um, that and uh, and above, Hey Jude, because I hate that song. But, <laughs> where would Hey Jude end up for you? How many songs do they have? I got two twenty three on my list, and it's not. I mean, two twenty three. That's that's wow. my count of it. You put that at two twenty three. I hate that song. Wow, that's my hot take for your Beatles would you, podcast. Would you re- hot takes, hot takes, hot takes? Flaming <laughs> hot. <laughs> I love it. Would you take? Okay, gun to your head. You have to listen to one song, and they're both seven minutes long. Hey Jude, or what's the what's the new Mary Jane? Well, what's the new Mary Jane is is hysterical. Like it doesn't. It's not. Again, it's not a song. We're about to get into that. It's art. Yeah. It's not something. It's a totally different genre of of whatever it is of art. Valid. Like, I don't even put it in the same category of art as a <laughs> as as a, as a as a pop song or as any general song would be. Yeah. I, Interesting. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't affect me. Mary Jane is just noise in the background. Yeah. Doesn't make me do anything either way. At, okay. Hey Jude actively pisses me off. <laughs> well, let's take this moment to take a short, quick break, and we'll be right back to with number two hundred one. Let's get into it. Let's do it. We'll be right back. Hot takes, hot takes, hot takes. Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. You got a hot take you think we'd like to hear? Well, we want to hear it. Now's your chance. Go to anchor.fm slash ranking the Beatles. Click on message and you can send us a message using just your phone, your laptop, your computer, your iPad, whatever you got, whatever device. What about like an abacus? They're working on that. It'll be in the next update. Strings on cans. That is probably workable in some fashion. (laughs) But we want to hear your hot take. We'll drop it into the show and talk about it. Do you think maybe Ringo is low-key the best vocalist in the band? Do you think the long and winding road should not have been in the 220s? Do you think I'm way off on every ranking so far? Do you think Julia should be doing all the talking? Let us know. We're going to drop it into the show and talk about it. So send us your message. Send us your flaming hot takes. Anchor.fm slash ranking the Beatles. Flaming out. Flaming out. Oh, hi. Oh, hey. Oh, hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) If you're just joining us, we're here with Mr. Steven Turner. (laughs) Oh, hi. Oh, hi. All right. My name is Steve. His name is Steve. (laughs) Steven Burner. All right, gang. Oh, goodness. Hot take of the day. Steven has told us that he would rather listen to this next song than Hey Jude. Coming in at number 201 is What's the New Mary Jane? She looks 
says an African queen. She eating twelve chapatis and cream. She tastes as Mongolian lamb. She coming from Aldebaran. What a shame Mary Jane had to pay the party. Like to be married with Yeti. He grooving such cookie spaghetti. She jumping as Mexican bean to make that her body more thin. What a shame Mary Jane had a pain at the party. All right, so where to start with what Stephen has called a piece of art? Can we just not start? Unfortunately, we have to. <laughs> the rules of the podcast state. Can we just say that this is 201 and move on? <laughs> I know. You guys like to you know, you want to talk about, uh, you know, an actual song? <laughs> we must see this through. All right. Okay. In honor of John Lennon's 80th birthday, which just passed, we will discuss this particular song this week. Uh, so... It appears that the song was written in Rishikesh as well. Uh, lyrically, there's not so much real backstory as to what he's actually talking about. Uh, more than likely, he's just doing kind of his wordplay gibberish thing that he does. He did mention at some point in an interview that he wrote it with Alex Martis, also known as Magic Alex, who was a so-called electronics guru, in quotations, uh, that they'd hired to run Apple Electronics, a subdivision of Apple Core. Uh, that never really amounted to anything because Alex was just a dude who knew how to solder lights and switches and bullshit to make kind of blinky boxes and useless shit that people could stare at while they were stoned. Um, which, I guess that's cool. Um, but regardless, he never got a co-write if he did have, if he did have any involvement in the track. Um, so, this is a song that John also demos at Esher as well. Um, showing that even though the final track comes off as kind of a weird art acid freakout, it's actually a pre-planned melody, uh, lyric, and chorus idea. The track itself is recorded during the White Album sessions with full intent for this to make the final record, and it's actually in the track listing. Uh, it's actually in. <coughs> it's actually in the track listing up until the final day that they work on track listing. Uh, so John and George are the only Beatles present on the track, providing piano and guitar, respectively. Um, Yoko and Mal Evans are there as well, providing background noises and sound effects. And it's kind of accepted, if not admitted, that the idea of the track is to sound like a bad acid trip. So John actually does several edits of the song uh, before it gets pulled from the White Album track listing. However, he doesn't sit on it for too long, because in September of 69... Just after Abbey Road comes out, John declares he wants to put it out as a Plastic Ono Band track alongside You Know My Name, Look Up the Number, a long gestating comedy avant-garde track the Beatles have been putzing with uh, for a couple of years. We'll discuss that song later in the podcast. Um, and this plan actually goes so far as to get out a press release about the upcoming single and an Apple Records catalog number. Uh, and at some point, either EMI or the other Beatles put the kibosh on it uh, with both tracks having been recorded under the Beatles' name and with Beatle-related funding and studio time and featuring other Beatles. You Know My Name gets released as the B-side to Let It Be, and Mary Jane goes back into the vaults. Uh, various mixes do get bootlegged over the years, but it eventually gets its official release on the anthology, 
uh, Volume 3 in 1996. So, why on God's green earth do I have What's the New Mary Jane at number 201? Would you like to know? I guess. (laughs) So, okay. Here we go. Maybe I'm in the minority on this, but as I get older, I kind of enjoy some of the weirder stuff a lot more. Uh, This one, to me, uh, just sounds like audible fun by some stoners with access to really good recording equipment and a desire to just kind of make and create things on the fly. Now, also, as a musician, and I feel like, Stephen, you may agree with me on this, noodling with effects and sounds and delays and reverb can be, like, endless hours of fun. And it's kind of like there's a moment of freedom in just, like, discovering new sounds and tones and effects and things like that. And that kind of freedom, I think, ties in with what I think is one of the strengths that Yoko brings to the table in her relationship with John. Uh, where she comes from as an artist is she's got, she's there kind of encouraging him to like let his like freak flag fly so to speak and with that encouragement and him focusing on himself as an artist as opposed to a pop star uh, he's kind of able to dig deeper into his artistic whims and this allows him to look you know at ideas of what makes a song and toss that out of the window and find new ideas so you know he's not really he's no longer tied to the need of like verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus it can be whatever he wants it to be and i think also the idea of kind of embracing that inner child that just likes to play with sounds and noise without worrying about is this commercial is this a hit is this what the audience wants and it's rare to find an artist get that freedom especially like a major artist and you know one of the things i mentioned last week when i was talking about the song flying you know, as the band got into more experimental things and were trying their hand at things that they didn't necessarily create first, like film and like avant-garde music, which like that wasn't their initial kind of goal. Um, you know, while those initial experiments may not be embraced or seen as successful on a mass sense, I think if they'd kind of gotten their shit together and were able to get on the same page, they probably could have found a really cool sideline and putting out experimental and weird stuff together because all four of them do weird stuff on their own once they break up that are not commercial and very strange and all on the uh, with the same track as each other but they're just not doing it together because they couldn't get their act together um i think they could have probably figured out some found some really neat things together had they kind of worked those differences out i think also this track runs concurrently time-wise in development you know with revolution nine and while the two, while the spirit of the two are kind of similar, I don't think it's as successful as Revolution Nine in being like cohesive in its point and its intent. Overall, I think the track is really just kind of fun, and it's John being really free from judgment and insecurity, and just creating whatever the hell he wants to do, whatever he wants to make. And I enjoy hearing what that freedom sounds like. Just my two so, cents. So I think all of that's cool. Yeah. My point of my I think that's not, cool. I think it's fucking wrong. Point of, no, no. I think the, my, my point about it not being a song and just being a piece of art kind of comes from that same vein where I can't imagine having that kind of freedom. Right. Like, these guys, he didn't have to write a hit song. Who cared? He already had 14 on this record on the White Album, right? I mean, how many freaking songs did they release off of that? So who cares? Mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that there had to be some kind of sit-down discussion where it's like, John... 
you only get one. Like <laughs> you have to pick between Revolution Number Nine and what's the new Mary Jane, and like they flip the coin. That's going at the end of the White Album, but the like to be able to do that kind of thing where you sit down and play with effects and you do all that stuff and you record it and put it out and people will actually sit down and talk about it. Whereas people like us, if I did that, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing for nine minutes? <laughs> they wouldn't be anybody who goes, wow, that's really artistic. I like that. Let's talk it's, about it on a podcast. <laughs> I, right. And I also think of all the songs in the Beatles catalog, it's the only one where Yoko singing is appropriate. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, I mean, it's kind of funny to say that, like, but I it, actually mean it seriously. Yeah, there, what she does to it does add singing, an element the to wailing, it. The, yeah, the yeah, wailing, the yeah. wailing. You know, yeah. I just think it's hysterical that I was like, well, actually, that works here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do think the, the vocal she adds on on continuing story of Bungalow Bill. She's in the chorus on that. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? And it works in the context of a chorus, I think, on that. But for this, like, it, she definitely is adding to the overall effect of the weirdness of the whole track. So, like, I get this what is... you're saying about, like, the noodling and, like, it's hours of fun, like, playing with all your toys and stuff. But, like, that doesn't need to be released to the public. Like, it's not. Oh, no. Pause. We lost Burner. Oh, there you are. I'm right here. Oh, was, oh it went oh, to a screen. Okay. Sorry. Went um, to a screen, uh, screensaver. So. Back in. Uh, yeah. But you don't need to release it. Like, it doesn't need to be commercially available. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't see the connect there. Like, but it's bad. You so, and I are saying the same. In this, you and I are saying okay. the same thing. Yeah. Let, Why, like, the Breton Sound would never be allowed to put this out. No. It's pointless. Let me counter that. At least half of McCartney's McCartney album and almost half of McCartney 2 are him just noodling on things. Your ma. <laughs> <laughs> like, for real though, the first, like, half of, half of McCartney is him testing his, his equipment. There is a track on McCartney 2 called Check My Machine, which is literally him just testing things. Okay, but it's all question. in the same vein. Why is it's all in the same vein? Would you it's like they've released? He's released hours of music at this point. He can do whatever he wants. But so, I'm talking like 1970. He releases the McCartney album, and half of that is him experimenting and testing equipment and learning how to use things. Yeah, and then sure, saying why not? Though? And then going, well, yeah, that's my record. I think he, it's because he can. That's exactly why he did it because he can. Yeah. Would you rather listen to? What's the new Mary Jane or temporary secretary? Oh, temporary secretary. <laughs> yes. Stephen, have you heard temporary secretary? No. Do oh, yourself I'm not a favor. I'm going to shoot you that after this. Uh, treat your ear holes okay. to that little nugget of joy. <laughs> <laughs> we can just, we'll just, we can, we can take a break and edit it out. And I'm like, yes, I know that song. No, you're fine. It's okay. <laughs> I, I still find it super interesting that this song is like, he wrote this like he wrote the lyrics down at some point he like came up with a guitar part and was like george it's these two chords and the melody for the verse is da 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 and like 
it was a worked out thing. So I think that's actually like a bigger problem that I have with it. Like it's not even just like fun noodling, like let's try and be artsy and see what comes out. Like, like that's the middle of the song is like the noodly weird stuff. Yeah, like he purposely made this song and it feels to me like he's just being, as we all know, John can be a bit of a shithead. And I feel like he's just trying to like be that like shithead stoner dude who's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna like make a song that just like fucks with people and like you guys don't get it because like you don't get like art and stuff and like you're not as cool as that's me. a lot of yeah that's a lot of that dude's personality yeah like i feel he's, i feel like that's where he wrote i'm, I'm doing uh air quotes here wrote this <laughs> yeah. song from a place that like that's how i feel about it now I, I guess to add on to that doing shit like this can lead to some incredible things like sure I don't like the Sid Barrett era of Pink Floyd, but that's what this reminds me of. Right. And it led to the other two guys learning how to write some incredible music. Like, they took a lot of those sounds that Sid came up with, and they took a lot of that, like, ambiance and, like, feel. And the Beatles just aren't that band. I mean, but they evolved into being able to do something like, there may be something very specific on this track that influenced something we love that we don't even know. Like... Mm. The, the sound effects on something like this could have been on a King Crimson record or a, a Yes record or a P, even a later Pink Floyd album. Like, mm-hmm. this is the same era, right? This is, what, 68? Yeah, so 68. Sid Garrett's still alive, mm-hmm. writing music. It's in, They're in the same era there. So, I mean, I see it as the same kind of thing. I don't like that era of music, but, you know, they're doing crazy experimental stuff with equipment that they're just learning how to use, and a lot of it became kind of industry standard tricks later. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, and I think you're right on that. And you know, part of the reason I do enjoy listening to the song, and the, and the caveat here is I don't listen to it often, but when it does come on, I'm always like, "What is happening in here?" And like, I want to listen and I want to hear and I want to think about like, what are they doing to create this sound? Like that. yeah, so that's why it's an art piece. Yeah, it, so, it's making you think about. But it. I do, like then the, I do sit there later and start going. <laughs> like I'll start like the melody will get because it's a stupid little sing song melody, much like oh blah d oh blah. D. It's the, the same little catchy nursery rhyme yeah. bullshit that gets stuck yeah. in your head, which makes me think that I, he's doing it to like piss off Paul and his like granny shit, as he calls it. Like, well, I that's feel, what Paul's doing, right? Yeah, like John refers to Paul's songs as like the granny shit. And I feel like John's like, well, I'm just going to like write the opposite of that. But like take the piss out of it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to take your granny shit melodies and like write my own like weird sonar song about it and like deal with it. I'm sure that did have something to do with it. This thing, I also think so that maybe it's a combination of that, right? It's a combination of him just being kind of a dick and the fact that he and his wife were really exploring really artsy things in their life. And this is just kind of what he wanted to do. Yeah. And like, you know, I don't understand any of that stuff. Those guys, I, I don't understand modern art. I'm just, it, I don't have anything against it. I just don't, I, my brain can't comprehend it. When I go into a modern art museum and I see a rake hanging from a ceiling in the middle of the room, <laughs> I, this actually happened in New York. There was like, a rake. It's a rake. It's a rake and it's hanging from the ceiling. And there's a closet door over there. That like, sounds like a, I, a, a Beck lyric. There's a rake, and it's hanging from a ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of Beck lyric. <laughs> I just, I don't personally get it, but there's a museum full of people who seem to love it. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Who am I to say it's wrong? So 201. Well, wait, okay. I have one more comment. Oh, okay, on okay, yeah, okay. Why is Paul listed as a co-writer on it? So everything that they do, they, they were, their agreement started back when they were, you know, 16. Everything they wrote was credited to Lennon-McCartney until the partnership was dissolved, or really until until their first solo records, really. So it's really just poor George? It's formality. For years. It's formality, yeah. It was always Lennon-McCartney. No, I mean, like, poor George. Yeah. Uh, well, so I can't remember the exact breakdown, but it was written to, it was done to where, like, they got all the, Lennon McCartney got the publishing and they gave George and Ringo each like a small piece. So they mm. still made the lion's share of it, but they got the credit for it. Um, okay. So, so this is Lennon McCartney, but at the same time, and it was done during the same time period a year later, uh, give peace a chance, which is a John song is credited to Lennon McCartney. So, oh, yeah. yeah, so the, the, like their crediting system was, was strange. And now the other thing That's about bizarre. this that I found interesting is the version that they put that they record for release is John and George. Um, and the demo version that they did at Esher, while John's playing the verse section, someone's in the background doing this kind of like higher like ah, type vocal thing that I think it sounds like Paul to me. She tastes as Mongolian lamb She coming from Aldebaran So it's interesting that Paul is, hypothetically, if it is Paul, he's invested in it and really willing to be a part of the game at that point in the discussion. Um, but then that eventually seems to not happen by the time they get around to recording it. Their relationship is very strange uh. at this point. It's very, very weird and very deep. Um, deeper sure. than we'd go on our show. But if you want to dive deeper into their relationship, though, uh, there's a wonderful podcast for our listeners to go check out called Another Kind of Mind that deals that they really go into, like, the the deep psychological weirdness of the oh, Lennon McCartney the one with the two women? Yeah. Oh, it's really good. Three women, I Oh, believe. is it three women? Yeah, oh, the three. one I listened to was I think there's three of them. I think there's okay. three different hosts on it. Oh. Super good, though. Check them out. Good people. I like their show. Yeah, that was really cool. It's funny, because, like, I listen... When I listen yeah. to the... When I listen to their show and they talk about, like, the relationship of the two of them and how, like, they go so far back and they're so entangled in each other's lives, like... I almost think about you and I in, in, in the same kind of respect because we've been so close for so long and we've been in several bands together for so long and like we know each other minus so about, well. Minus about a yeah, minus about a billion dollars. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't have the money and the drugs to make everything better. <laughs> but, so yeah. So 201, who agrees with it me does, But like, it was nice to see it's sad that I don't know that we never got kind of the public rekindling. Like you get where, like with Eddie Van Halen recently going, how yeah. Jamie Hagar said that they have recently made up and like, they figure their stuff out later when all of that stuff's gone, you know, right. they get mm -hmm. to rekindle it. It's well, I mean, the good thing is like by all accounts, John and Paul had like made their peace and were on good terms when John died. Um, they had hung out. Um, I mean, they had kind of like, they'd gotten their shit together. They weren't necessarily as like super tight as they were when they were younger, but like all that stuff had gotten worked out. I think John and George were still kind of 
beefing, or at least not actively beefing, but we're not really actively a, a talking. Bit strained. Yeah. A bit strained. So there was some tension there when John passed, um, but everybody else was fine. Um, and I, th- I mean, I think, you know, they, they'd known each other since they were, you know, 15 and they were in each other's back pockets mm-hmm. under the most unbelievable circumstances that like for as many hours as you yeah. and I have spent together or as many hours as you and I have spent together as a husband and wife mm-hmm. will never understand the shit that they went through. Yeah. Like nobody would understand that except for them. Um, yeah, it's a pretty unique experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unique in the culture of the world. And like, like, think about that. You know, even on top of just the fact of being like major music stars and just like that whole bunkers life that none of us will ever understand, just like parents dying and, you know, like the stuff post war culture. Them, or, yeah, like yeah. everything that's happening outside of their careers, um, pre Beatles, you yeah. know, just like all the things that make you who you are and like how those shaped who they are as people, you know. Right. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow it, uh, it somehow it ends up with what's the new Mary Jane? Somehow. <laughs> I mean, imagine looking at the grand scheme of like a kid going from, you know, twist and shout at at twenty one, twenty two, to what's the new Mary Jane? Merely six years later. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's a bonkers projection. I think if you spent this much time and had that opportunity to spend that much time in a recording studio i'd go bonkers like i would do the craziest shit you could possibly imagine i mean you see what happens to me when i sit down and tinker with the pedals and like you still laugh at me like just doing loops and delays and things like that it just makes me happy right. i love being in a studio and like the opportunity to have access to that type of equipment without having to worry about a budget like you right. just have it it's yeah. there you can do whatever you want We'd probably write this too. You'd probably be like, <laughs> "Hey, dude, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's smoke a bunch of weed, sit on the floor, and make a bunch of bongo sounds. Like you're just—it's <laughs> what you're gonna do. Yeah. And like, what do you want to do today? Let's get the let's get the wives in here and uh and uh get them to play some bongos too. Like it's <laughs> it's just what you do. Yeah. I, I I think it's kind of I think that's what I love about it is that regardless of your opinion on it sonically, the fact that that you know that something like this is possible is kind of cool. That's what made us want to do it in the first place. Right. I would love that. This is my goal. What's the new Mary Jane would have been my goal to have (laughs) access to that type of production in life. Like seriously, this is your fuck you money song. When you have fuck you money, what kind of music do you make? (laughs) You make this. Look, I've listened I've been listening to the Van Halen catalog on repeat since Eddie died. And when you get into some of their records, and it's like they're doing weird stuff by the end of the David Lee Roth era, and they're doing weird stuff by the end of the Sammy Hagar era, too. Like, they just, bands that have that type of fuck you money yeah. just do weird stuff, mm. especially the really good ones, the right. really talented people. You know, there's a whole song on Van Halen's 95 record balance where Eddie's just banging on the strings on a piano. It's just. He called it strung out, him dropping shit on a piano. Like, <laughs> well, and I think where the Beatles really nailed this is with Revolution 9. Like, yeah. I, I I, think that if you want to go in that direction, like, Revolution 9 is amazing. Like, if if I want, like... For a, what it is. Yeah, like, but with, like, the panning and, like, it's it's 
it's weird. It's not your run-of-the-mill pop song. Like, it's not what you expect from them. But it's good. It's better. It's better done. Yeah. I, th- I think it is a better done it's version of this. playing with equipment. Yeah. It's, it's them playing it's with tape the loops, equipment it's, and doing much cooler shit. Yes. Yeah. And, like, the They're mix of that is done. Song. Like, the mix of that track is done in real time. Like, there are guys throughout EMI with pencils, with loops of tape running from machine to machine to, to pencil, you know, and basically John is working the faders wow. on the mixer, like bringing things in and out. And like, it's a one-time performance thing. You couldn't duplicate that. Wow. Like that's pretty incredible. That is. Yeah. 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 Right. So, so yeah. So two Oh one, you think I'm way off? Look, I don't know if you guys remember the early quarantine hit. I wonder what's inside your butthole. <laughs> Is way better than this. I wonder what's inside your butthole. I wonder what's inside your butthole. Maybe there's astronauts. Maybe there's aliens. All inside your butthole. What's inside your butthole? I always wanna know. What's inside your butthole? I always wanna know. And that was written by a five-year-old with a toy guitar. You uh, tell me. I wonder what's inside your butthole doesn't slap. You tell me. <laughs> it uh, it Bro, is a banger. Slap so hard. That is it a does. banger. I think. I my personal opinion on this is kind of in, it's just it's it's that it's not a rankable song. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to stay with. Is that I understand it from Julia's perspective. She's correct. Musically, the song's fucking terrible. But if you look at it from a different perspective, it's. To, it depends on how you see it. It's like it'd be number one from a experimental, like, man, nobody's ever done anything like this for perspective as a piece of art. But musically, right. yeah, it sucks. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> Fair enough. I love it. I love it. Let's um let's go ahead and do some rapid fire questions. You wanna do that real quick? Yeah, I'm into rapid fire thing. Rapid fire, rapid fire. Pow, 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 pow. Oh. I gotta come up with a good like transition yeah, let's song. Not, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, you definitely dude you need some kind of like goofy morning radio sound <laughs> right there. <laughs> Just like Rapid Fire I know yeah, what I'm dude, doing let's, when I finish this episode. Something. Like just put a little hair metal rapid fire. Yes. Thirty oh second little blip in there. <laughs> I love rapid it. Fire! That's the one. Whoa. That's the one. You're doing the vocal on it. Oh, my God. Wait, I had no idea you could sing like that. I'm shocked. Where's that been the last 10 years, right? dude? I've got, I've got 80s falsetto for days. That was so good. Amazing. All right, Steven Turner, rapid fire number one. Your favorite Beatles uh, song. A <laughs> uh, song. Your favorite Beatles song. Go. Help. All right. Ooh. Least favorite Beatles song. We already did that. Hey, Jude. That's right. Hey, Jude. <laughs> you blew it, Pretus. You blew it. Hot take for the day. <laughs> favorite Beatles album. Rubber Soul. No, uh, Help or Rubber Soul. I, I don't know. Coin flip. Okay. 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 That's my favorite era. That's that like three album stretch. Help yeah. the Revolver. Is there, what is your least favorite? The one you go to the least? Or the one you're just like, I don't want this. I don't know. Do any of the? I don't ever listen to any of the early records anymore. Like uh, right. the, they aren't even really albums, you know. In my head, 
the stuff that I grew up just having on the radio or in the CD player or the album in the background, I don't ever seek those records out. The only time I listen to a Beatles record, it's one of the later albums, like 67 on. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, your favorite memory associated with a Beatles song or a Beatles thing? I actually think the story I told about me randomly yelling out, play Old Blood D, and you guys playing it all the way through is perfect. Pretty good. Like, it. it just basically gave me the finger as I was drinking a beer. Like, all right. Beautiful. <laughs> I have to say, one of my favorite memories associated with the Beatles was actually with you when we went and saw Paul McCartney together and he started to play Band oh. on the Run and you were like, I fucking hate this song. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's amazing. And I'm like, just like, just singing and just like all over the place, just like celebrating Band on the Run and you're just miserable. <laughs> for, our, for our listeners out there, Stephen has I, real gripe with the, uh, the synthesizer from oh, Band on the Run. So good. Uh, it's like it's like being stabbed in the eye. <laughs> I almost spit my drink. <laughs> it's like a lot. It's definitely it's definitely like lobster magnet, right? In your face. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Well, this is the part of the show where I usually ask my guest uh, what they've got going on to promote. I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to promote, Steve? Musically, I, I have nothing going on except I'm actually learning to do new techniques and fixing guitars up. Like, I'm learning different stuff, working on plastic and wood that I've never done before to rebuild the thing. And, uh, you going to build me a guitar? That's interesting. You going to build guitars well, for us? A lot of it a lot of it comes from this magical uh, guitar that I've had for a decade now called the Burner Caster, which <laughs> I, I had to figure out how to kill fret buzz that I've never figured out how to kill before and I, it's, it, uh, I'm learning so Sweet. that's what I do with nice. the music right now well soon we'll be playing again we're going to start doing some big in the 90s stuff I feel like you guys trying to figure out how to make that work on yeah. the back porch I think like so the two too. of you you can like spread out I think it'd be fun it'd be I think sweet. so We'll make it work. Yeah, we can do it. We'll do it. We'll, I would enjoy we it. We shall jam again, my friend. I'll sit on the other end of the yard with a drink and go, Woo! Play Obla D Obla Da! Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> well, Steven Turner, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. I miss you, yeah, buddy. I hope you're good. Thank you for having me on this. I'm glad I you... I know you got some real... I know you got some real Beetle Nuts coming on this, this uh, podcast and like listening to them. It's like the amount of facts that you guys know is just mind boggling. I'm just a guy who listens to the song sometimes. <laughs> He's just a guy who listens to the song sometimes. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you, my friend. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Awesome. Excellent. All right, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Steven. Adios, my friend. Bye. 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 Later. Steven Burner. Steven Turner. Sleeven Burner. We uh, call him all kinds of things. Listeners, if you haven't figured this out Screeven yet. Screeven Kerner. These two have known each other so long that they have their own language. It is the most bizarre thing. This is true. Yeah. This is it's, true. It's it's a lot. My hetero life mate, as I like to call him. Yeah. I do love that boy. I know. Yeah. Fun fact, listeners. I've actually known Stephen longer than Jonathan has. This is true. Stephen and I were friends in high school, and then I went away to college, and he went to LSU where he met Jonathan. And then after I graduated, I moved back to New Orleans, and I met Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And then we discovered we had all these friends in common. So yep. that was pretty cool. And that's the story. That's the story. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah. 
Number 202, Obla Dio Da. Number 201, What's the New Mary Jane? What do you guys think about it? What do you feel? How right? How wrong? How silly? How stupid? We need to know your thoughts, your hot takes, your opinions. So please leave them in the comments on the Facebook and on the Instagram. Um, you can go to anchor.fm slash ranking the Beatles and send us a voice message with your thoughts. And we're going to start dropping those into some stuff in the future. Maybe a little bonus episode. Ooh. Hot takes bonus episode would be, be fun. fun. Yeah. So, um, let us know what you guys think. We would love to uh, continue this conversation. Give us your opinions. Yeah. And uh, be sure to, uh, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a ranking on your podcast place of choice if you're able to. Preferably four stars or five what? stars. Whatever, five stars. Whatever the number of stars allotted is. Just choose the highest number of stars. Yes. Whatever it is. Yes. That would be swell. But uh, in the meantime, you guys, have a wonderful week. Happy belated 80th birthday to John Lennon. Yeah. Um, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Yes. And uh, good God, get ready to go vote. Yeah. Yep. So, you guys have a wonderful week. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Julia. This has been Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.